Hi, I'm Andy, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. Well, it's October the 27th, lunchtime on the West Coast, afternoon on the East Coast. And as always in the week leading up to the election, all the news seems to be about Facebook. The news then is not only on Facebook, but about Facebook. Today, the big news is that uh, the Facebook election ban is taking effect. And one person I always come to for Facebook news, I hope he's not insulted because I treat him as my Facebook maven. He's a maven on many other things except for Facebook is my dear friend, David Kirkpatrick. He's the founder and editor-in-chief of Techonomy. We couldn't fit in the editor-in-chief, but I think founder sounds more important. He's also the author of a marvelous book about Facebook called The Facebook Effect. It was the first major book about Facebook. He had access to everyone, including Zuckerberg, and it's still, I think, the best book about Facebook. So, David, um, I gave you a wonderful introduction. You Thank met- you for that. No, you did. I appreciate you it. You at your best. Is, is, this, is this Facebook ban on political advertising does it have any significance it has significance uh is it sufficient is it needle moving probably not i mean you know if you're a a bad actor in facebook political ads you know the fact that they announced it so far in advance and announced that they would allow ads to continue running that were already running even once the ban took effect means that you know for the time being it doesn't have that much real impact. The way it will have impact is if there are developments in the final days around the election that a, you know, malevolent actor or a, you know, uh, dishonest political actor or simply a aggressive political actor might take advantage of to uh, try to sway public sentiment uh, with new information, new messaging that cannot be utilized on Facebook based on this ruling now, uh, and this this new rule. But the, the thing that also you have to realize is there's a lot of gray area about what constitutes a political ad. And um, the really bad people, the really clever, malevolent people are pretty good at thinking up ways to put ads in that don't appear to be what they actually are to get past the restrictions. So, uh, but but it does show but Facebook is trying something, a few things, to be a little less harmful to our national and, and global political dialogue. David, there's been a lot of news uh, recently about the impact of Google and particularly Facebook on local newspapers. This has been an ongoing debate for the last 10 or 15 years. Are we at a breaking point now when it comes to local news? There was a a New York Times piece recently about the breakup, uh, the breakdown of, of local newspapers saying that if we don't have local newspapers, we can't know ourselves. Whoever wins the election, are they going to have to address this issue of local newspapers and, and some sort of uh, legal protection from, from big tech, particularly Google and Facebook? 
Well, I wouldn't say whoever wins the election is going to do anything. If Donald Trump wins the election, nothing's going to happen. And if, if, if Biden were to win the election, he might agree that was an important issue. But he's going to have so many more pressing, urgent problems to address that I doubt if that would rise to the level of a, a priority. Uh, it's possible, as your headline noted there, that the, the Congress might try somehow to legislate a penalty against Facebook and Google and a few others that would force them to subsidize something. But, you know, I, I think, unfortunately, the market is the primary engine for whether these things are viable or not. And, uh, you know, local news is not gone, but it's impaired. It's radically shrunk. Um, and, and it is a major negative in our national dialogue. And I don't think there is an easy solution, even forcing Facebook to pay a bunch of local people somehow. I, I, I think it's, it's kind of a lost cause for the time being until maybe some form of innovation or entrepreneurship uh, remedies it in a way we can't currently imagine. David, there's still, of course, a, a lot of talk about antitrust. Google now has a, a US government uh, lawsuit against it. Could Facebook and this is a headline today from uh, WBUR. Could Facebook be the next to face antitrust regulation, particularly given the need, perhaps, some people argue, including myself, actually, to break Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp up into three separate companies? Facebook will be the next target. I think that's pretty clear. Um, the FTC, in Facebook's case, has been uh, investigating, as the Department of Justice is the one that is going after Google and has now filed suit. Uh, and there is word that even before the end of November, the FTC may file suit, possibly unlike uh, uh, the, uh, the DOJ action against Google, in partnership with states led by uh, attorneys general of both political parties. So uh, whereas in the Google lawsuit filed by uh, the DOJ, the uh, allies that filed alongside it were uh, attorney general of like, I don't know, 12 states. They were all Republicans. And there's much view that that action is overly political um, and, and not likely to necessarily have as much success as a more bipartisan effort would. Uh, in the case of the Facebook prosecution, there is more agreement on both sides about certain things, although by no means everything. Um, so I think you will probably see a, a, a some kind of action by the FTC in partnership with a number of states with both Republican and Democratic uh, attorneys general uh, joining in to not necessarily break it up, although that might be what they asked for, but to somehow radically punish it for um, antitrust violation. Probably some form of breakup, I guess, actually is most likely. You know, I, I, I'm not a big believer that it's very viable to break it up. Uh, but I am a believer that radical regulatory action is needed to restrain its social harms. David, the other big issue now that is engulfing Washington, D.C. is this uh, debate about Section 230, the protections set up, I think it was in 1995, 1997, to protect small internet companies. At that point, Google was a startup. Zuckerberg, uh, Zuckerberg was still in, in preschool. Uh, how do you expect Section 230 to work itself out 
after the election, whether or not Biden or Trump is elected? This is a real mess. And I don't even, I can't really see exactly how it's going to play out. I, I mean, the, the reality is what Section 230 does is it indemnifies the internet platforms from lawsuits over content on their sites that they did not themselves put on there. So well, I'm going to interrupt, David. You and I have, have argued about this before. They are making money out of this content. They're just not paying. No, no, I'm not saying it's not a problem. I'm just saying I don't, to, to take away their indemnification, I don't know how it's going to work. I'm not even saying I necessarily oppose it. It would depend on how it were implemented. I mean, to really take it away, if you really took Section 230 away, it would so dramatically change the nature of every internet platform that I don't think most people realize the degree to which it would change them. I mean, I don't even know if you'd still be able to have reviews on Amazon that weren't, you know, pre-vetted uh, by the company in every single case, which would, you know, make the number of reviews far fewer. Um, you know, th the companies act like Section 230 is what enables them to moderate content and all this kind of stuff. I saw this little industry video the other day that was kind of bullshit. Um, in reality, it totally allows them to do whatever they want and not get sued. That's what it does. Now, they shouldn't be doing whatever they want because clearly a lot of the things they're doing, particularly in the case of Facebook, are very harmful to society. Um, <laughs> but to take away all legal protections from them, in, or it's like, is it maybe overkill or is it maybe a way to take away a certain kind of a certain category of legal protection? I don't know. I think there may be a middle ground that will have to be found because I really do believe if you just pulled the rug out from under them and took away Section 230, the internet would be a radically different consumer experience because the, the covering your ass that would go on for all these companies would be so extensive uh, and expensive, extensive and expensive. Well, I think, David, doesn't that leave wonderful opportunity for guys like you at Techonomy are still playing by the traditional rules? You're accountable for the product, for the content you put on your platform, as we are at now.tv. Don't we just go back to the old rules? Shouldn't Facebook and Google have to yeah. apply well, to maybe. the same rules as newspapers already? Maybe, maybe, Andrew. But the thing you have to remember is that for all of the outrage on both sides of the aisle against these platforms, which is different uh, on both sides of the aisle for different reasons, but the outrage is of comparable volume and, and intensity. The average user, the average American citizen, and importantly, the average voter doesn't share that outrage. They share a love of using these platforms. And if, if Congress were to threaten to really radically change the nature of these platforms, I think you would see a massive ad campaign by the platforms directed at consumers saying, write, call your congressman, email your congresspeople, tell them don't destroy the internet. And it probably would succeed in modulating the regulatory effort because people don't want to see them go away from roughly their current form. I'm not saying I agree with that. The average user of Facebook is not dissatisfied on balance would be my sad conclusion. And the same, even more so probably with Google. Um, this is a subject, David, you and I have talked about 
endlessly. Uh, I both agree and disagree. I, I don't want to go on about it now, but I do think it could also provide a wonderful opportunity for startups to develop alternative business models to Facebook and Google. But let's go back yeah. briefly to Facebook. It might. Your, well, look, your... we, need, we need more competition. We need more entrepreneurship to give these people competition if that's possible at their scale. I mean, they have such wealth and power that to compete with them is almost fruitless for most people at the moment. So, David, you, you've been over the years one of the keenest and I think fairest observers of Mark Zuckerberg. You were pretty close. Now you're less close. And I think you're about as fair as you can get. What is clear from the conversation so far is that the future of Facebook is really very much going to be decided in Washington, D.C. There was an excellent uh, Wall Street Journal piece last week about how Zuckerberg learned and is learning politics. Is he doing a good job? Is Zuckerberg learning to find his way around the halls of Congress and the White House? No. Um, and I think that article didn't really document that he was so adept as that he was. Uh, well, he had to. He does has no. He choice, was. He right? was. He was getting. Okay. If you want to call successful um, politics manipulation, evasion, uh, thinking of public relations as the primary uh, point of every action, he has learned politics. Um, has he actually successfully tamped down the outrage against his company? Absolutely not. So he hasn't really effectively learned politics to that degree. I think he's actually made some major, major, major political errors. Um, and uh, I think that he is He's in really a lot of serious political trouble. Uh, and it is a case that either party is really gunning for him at the moment. Um, so that doesn't suggest that he's played his cards very well. What do you make, David, of these headlines about him having these relationships with the right, with pro-Trump groups? Is this just propaganda on the left? Do you think no, he has no. any bias? I think, it's, I think he does have, he has shown this is one of the great ironies of the current pushback by the Republicans against Facebook and Google, is that, especially Facebook, is that, you know, they say that it suppresses conservative voices, whereas objective analysis tends to suggest, for a lot of reasons, that actually Facebook has generally favored conservative voices, and they have pushed back against a lot of political actors, but in general, they have pushed back less on the right. And, and in fact, Zuckerberg has shown a lot more inclination to listen to, have dialogue with people on the right, particularly during the Trump administration. And a lot of people believed, including me, that that was partly because he wanted to make sure he stayed in the good graces of the incumbent administration. Um, and, and, and so there is some evidence that he's being a little tougher on the right right now because he's starting to read the tea leaves that Biden might win. And he's trying to ingratiate himself pro preemptively a little bit with, with you know, the quote unquote left. Did he get schmoozed by, uh, by Kushner, do you think? Probably. I mean, he's been schmoozed by Kushner, yes. But, uh, and he's schmoozed by, he's schmoozed by, you know, all kinds of people, you know, Glenn Beck, uh, uh, the people, you know, they, he had a he had a meeting at Facebook, a famous meeting, which was sort of the most the beginning of the this egregious phase of his of his um, you know pandering, which I would call it, to the right. 
um, after the, the famous incident a few years ago where the content moderators uh, were actually favoring a sort of liberal material in the edited um, part of Facebook, which they then turned into an algorithmic unedited part of Facebook, supposedly. Um, and, and as part of his damage control, he invited a group of conservative leaders, which included a many, many of very extreme right-wing voices uh, to uh, visit him in his office, and he had a very indulgent meeting with them. Um, and, you know, as we know, he's met with President Trump twice, um, more or less secretly. Um, you know, I don't have a lot of respect for his political approach or his effectiveness at thinking about the how to, th how to modulate or make political speech safe for American democracy. I don't so think there, he's done a good uh, job of that. So, David Kirkpatrick, at least, argues, I think, that Mark Zuckerberg hasn't learned politics. David, can you believe all this? When did you start the Facebook effect? Was it 2009? Well, I started writing extensively about Facebook in 2006, right. which so is when, when I met Zuckerberg. Out, out the book came out in 2010. Right. So, you know, you and I have been talking about this for now for 12, 13 years. Can you believe, even you, you knew more than anyone what a big deal Facebook was going to be. But can you believe that that if there's one company that's getting mentioned more than any other in this election that's supposed to be the most important in American history, it's this little startup that you covered in 2006 and seven. Well, I thought it was going to be a very, very important company. So I'm not completely shocked. I think many people still are amazed, including even probably Mark Zuckerberg, that they have something like 3 billion users around the world. But it, it, it is definitely, I knew they would grow. I knew they'd be important. What has more shocked me has been the irresponsibility with which they have grown. Um, I really feel like they've made a series of major managerial blunders that have allowed their system to be easily manipulated and abused and, and used against the best interests of society, and by no means only in the United States. In fact, in like 190 countries around the world, which don't get discussed nearly enough, because all the things that upset people in the US are happening in every other country. And, and I, I feel like they could have grown more slowly, been more cautious, uh, and done a lot of things to make it a lot less likely that these awful consequences would have arisen. And that really surprised me because I thought Zuckerberg was a better guy than he turned out to be, to, to summarize. David, let's end by moving away from Facebook. I, 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 I suck you dry on Facebook, and, and there's so much more to you than that. As I said, you're the founder and the editor-in-chief of Techonomy, this wonderful platform, events, network, uh, online uh, information site. And if someone had stumbled into this interview, I think they would think, oh, my God, this guy's like a Luddite. He's against technology. But just to just to read the first uh, sentence in your uh, Why Techonomy, everything we do reflects our ethos, that technology can make the world a happier, <laughs> healthier, wealthier, and more peaceful place. That's clearly not happening with Facebook, although uh, there are lots of areas which you are covering at Techonomy where it is happening. Very briefly, David, to end, aside from big, big tech and Facebook and Google, we've been over that time and time again, what are the positives, potentially, in the next administration, particularly if Biden gets elected? Wait, what, about how, technology? How and why can technology make the world a better place from 
January 2021? Well, I, I would first quickly answer the question, leaving politics aside. I still believe technology is the only, the ag aggressive utilization of technology is the only way the world can solve pretty much all of its problems. You know, that was written in a slightly more, er, you know, uh, probably earnest time or, or, or a naive time, but I still more or less believe all that. I mean, if we're going to tackle climate change, healthcare, education, uh, you know, even things like migration, uh, economic growth in the less developed parts of the world, it's only through really aggressive use of technology that that's going to be possible. And that includes not just the internet, but all kinds of other technologies, much of it based on semiconductors, et cetera. In terms of Biden, um, it's a, you know, Biden himself is not particularly tech savvy by any evidence, uh, but he does have around him a lot of people who would agree with what I just said, that we need technology to be applied to our problems more aggressively. <clears throat> and in certainly for things like our national competition with China, I'm hearing more and more democratic voices say, the answer with competing with China is not to demonize them so much, but to simply work harder to outcompete them and, and to put the kind of money here into technology, even from a federal level, uh, in basic research and, and priorities around things like 5G deployment and, you know, internet connectivity around the entire country for every American, you know, that would really make our country more competitive. That's the way to, to, to compete. I, I do think that we would see in a Biden administration a much higher priority put on bringing the 30% or so of Americans who still don't even have internet high band broadband access in, into the modern world, you know, that's really inexcusable that we, and this, it's not true in China, by the way. China, for the most part, has broadband into every village. Uh, and it's, it's, it really is an economic enabler. Um, it's just one thing. And, and, you know, there's all kinds of other ways that technology and technology research needs to be emphasized. And I, I don't completely fault the Trump administration on this, by the way. They've done some good things. But 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 they haven't done enough, and they they don't talk about it enough. They don't talk about it much at all. Um, I I hope Biden and his people talk about it more if and when he wins. Let's end, uh, David, with some old technology. As I said, you wrote a wonderful book, The Facebook Effect, which actually, for anyone interested in the history of social media, is is well worth reading now, almost as a historical document to see how our perception of social media has changed so dramatically over the last 10 years. I know you, uh, you're you stuck in New York in these weird times. What else should people be reading or watching or listening to to give them a better perspective, especially since we can't still go out in the, in the COVID crisis? On the modern world generally? Yeah. Well, you know, the single thing that I think Americans don't pay enough attention to is the rest of the world. I mean, you know, you're British, Andrew, so you won't find this shocking. In fact, maybe you'll find it gratifying. But the, the publications I get the most benefit from are the Financial Times, the Guardian Weekly, those two in particular, which I read. I don't read the Guardian every day, but I get the print Guardian Weekly. Uh, and, and to have a international perspective and even a British perspective on the world that's not mine, where where the consciousness of the reality of all these other countries around the world being absolutely critical to our common welfare is intrinsic, that is really important. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm still a believer the New York Times is a great paper and I read it every day uh, and it has more international coverage than any other American paper. But 
even that is filtered through a consummately American lens. And, and I think you need to get out of the American thought bubble if you're an American. And, and one way to do it is to read non-American media, generally. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.